Archaeology holds all the keys to understanding who we are and where we come from. Welcome back to the Past for Plebs. I'm your host, Sean. This is our fifth episode from Season 2, but if you're new to the podcast, I want to take this time and welcome you to the mayhem. This is a place where we explore everything history-related. Last week, I noted that I have yet to actually explore a topic in history, like where I just go back in time and kind of talk about history or historical stuff. Um, so far, I've been kind of talking about the inner workings of history, how to do history, which is super important. Um, so I want to I want to interplay that into my first mini series on a historical topic. So our first series is going to be on pre-Columbian America. I want to dive right in, but before we do, I want to go through some terms, some terminology that we need to organize before we start our big discussion on this topic. Now, when we say pre-Columbian we are, in fact, referring to the time before the arrival of Europeans. And yes, I'm ignoring the Vikings right now. This is very important, though, right? So pre-Columbian is very important because this is before the European arrivals of the 15th and 16th centuries. And those arrivals, those permanent settlements that the Europeans established in the colonies that they created, they're going to completely alter and change the cultural landscape of the Americas. So if we want to know what the Americas were like before the outside influence happened, we have to go back in time. We have to go before the 1500s. Another term maybe you picked up on is the term Americas. <laughs> I feel like I have to clarify this because modern day Americans, we often get very confused on what part of the world I'm specifically referring to because that term gets kind of thrown around pretty loosely. For example, America today has kind of come to be universally understood as the United States and the people living in the U.S. are known as Americans. And that's fine. This is very accurate, right? But geographically, it's not exclusive. Like, it doesn't 100% mean what you're saying. So, for example, technically, anyone living in the continents of North and South America can be classified as Americans because we exist on the American continents. So that's where it starts to get a little bit confusing. So when in doubt, I always try my best to be as specific as possible. So that way it's just easier for you guys to follow my thought process. Um, and also it's important to just be like accurate when we say things. But so when I say the Americas, I'm referring to the entire Western Hemisphere, which is North and South America. So that's two continents. We also need to understand, so when we talk about North and South America, sometimes it gets a little murky. I see, I see a lot of people getting confused about like where North America and South America kind of end and the next one begins. Um, so for example, the Caribbean islands, right? There's a lot of sovereign countries in there. There's a lot of islands, a lot of places. And the question is, where do those places really belong? Um, my understanding is that the islands located in the Caribbean or the Caribbean, however you want to say it, are in fact a part of the North American continent. Now, it's definitely worth mentioning that the geography and the cultural, like, style of this region is usually kind of on its own. It's separate from the mainland. Um, but for this reason, people can kind of get confused. So, you know, the Caribbean, Caribbean, they count as North America. 
but we also understand that they're kind of different. Um, South America would basically be everything south on the mainland of the modern-day country of Panama. So right where that tail of North America kind of ends, and then that that larger landmass that we know of South America, that's all South America. I believe right now there's like 12 sovereign countries that make up South America. So that kind of gives you kind of an idea. There's a few other colonial holdouts there. Um, so we're going to be visiting also Mesoamerica in this podcast, which is a term that has Greek etymological roots. So you probably have heard of Mesopotamia before. Um, that's located in the near ancient Near East, which is also a Greek term. Um, these terms are not used by the people who lived at the time period or lived there. Um, these, a lot of times, historians, but also just like, like groups, um, in order to later make sense of what we didn't really have a name for back in the time, or we don't know the name for it, um, we just kind of slap a label on it and say, okay, this is Mesopotamia, or this is Mesoamerica, even though someone from ancient Mexico wouldn't be like, yeah, we're in Mesoamerica right now, guys. Isn't this great? Like, there was no such thing, and also they don't speak Greek anyway, so, you know, come on. Um, but anyway, so the, the Greek word meso is the word meaning the middle, or in the middle of, between. And so Mesopotamia, Potamia, comes from that root word meaning rivers. Um, actually, if you think of the word like potable, potable water, it comes from that kind of idea, like the river. Um, so when we say Mesopotamia, we mean the land between two rivers, and that's what that was in, in ancient Iraq, in, you know, ancient Middle East, that kind of thing. When we say Mesoamerica, the same is true. So it could literally be translated into the land between the two Americas. So we're basically talking about Middle America or pretty much just like Mexico and Central America. That's that's another way to put it. Um, so that's that. not only is it um, classified as that place, but it also has that time period attached to it. So like today, you wouldn't refer to Mexico as Mesoamerica because it's modern. It's contemporary. It's not historical. So that's also important. Just like we wouldn't refer to like Iraq as Mesopotamia, even though it's the same place. It's just not the same time. So if you're not already confused enough, I would now like to talk, have this discussion about how to classify the people who live in pre-Columbian America. Um, now there's many different terms and ways to refer to Native Americans, and that's one very popular example here in the U.S. I think it's the one I use the most. Um, there's a lot of terms that are generally considered to be appropriate. Um, IU will usually, like I said, use Native Americans or also indigenous groups or indigenous, pe indigenous peoples uh, in this way. Um, again, you know, the Latin group, Greek roots, the term indigenous mean, literally translates to the first people, which would be very accurate in this case. Um, in Canada, there's a really sexy one. They use the term First Nations, which is, you know, it's classy. It's got a little little vibe to it. I kind of like that. Um, a lot of times you go out west in the western U.S. states for you, uh, for you, you know, pioneers out there. Um, I've heard American Indian used quite a bit. Um, so that's kind of a, a, a common one. Um, this is actually a really good segue because I mentioned that term Indian. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's kind of explain because a lot of you old timers out there are probably like, hey, like, come on, what's wrong with this term, you know? Um, it's a name, right? It's, it's one of those things where it, there's kind of this historical thing that's attached to it. But I'll, I'll just give you a rundown on like how that name came to be. 
basically this is a misnomer. This is a name that was a, that was kind of slapped on to Native Americans, and it just ended up sticking for hundreds of years. And that's just how people referred to the entire group of Native Americans, basically. Um, only in the last few decades, really the last 50, maybe 60 years, have historians and scholars really started to make the decision to maybe, maybe we should drop some of these older terms and let's try and find more accurate and acceptable ones to use. Um, but the misunderstanding comes from the original Columbian voyages. So Christopher Columbus voyaging to the Americas in the 1490s. Columbus, his original goal, his original plan was to find a nice trade route to the Indies or the East Indies, right? That would be, that would basically be like East Asia, South Asia. Um, of course, you know, the nation of India. And again, when I say nation of India, that's a very new thing <laughs> since the 1940s. So it's still a very, very baby country. But the idea was people there, they were still referred to as Indians, right? And that would be way more accurate than applying it to Native Americans. So when Columbus lands in the Americas, at first, he originally assumed he landed somewhere in East Asia. Um, he thought maybe Japan, um, maybe actually India, you know, somewhere down there. Um, but it, this, isn't, this is actually kind of like a myth. A lot of people think like, oh, yeah, he just thought that he was in India and he just ran with it. No, he really, I mean, if you read the journals, if you read the diaries of Columbus, they figured it out pretty quickly that they weren't actually in Asia, they were like, oh, this is somewhere different. Okay, like, let me document all this stuff because this is not where we thought we were. So they figure it out pretty quick. The problem is, is that they don't actually remove that name. Um, instead, they start to refer to the land that they find as the West Indies. So Europeans make a differentiation. So the Caribbean islands are now known as the West Indies to the Europeans. And South Asia, those islands in South Asia, Sri Lanka, Maldives, um, you know, all of Indochina, really that territory down there, modern day, like, like Singapore, um, Indonesia, Malaysia, those places are the East Indies. The reality is these are European terms. Like this is just like history according to Europe, how they see it, East and West. Um, so lately now we obviously have better terms, right? We have the Caribbean, we have, you know, more accurate things. So we dropped those. But that term Indian kind of stuck. Um, and it's only until recently that we've said, you know, let's kind of drop this. Let's find something better. Um, and all these terms fail to hit the mark on how like people should be classified in the Americas. Uh, and that's not, not just the Americas. It's just like people in general, right? So when we classify like huge numbers of people together, you're kind of doing a disservice. So for example, I use the European example, right? Because that's a very common example. A lot of people would understand it. Um, if you just call people in Europe European and that's it, call it a day, that's just the only term you use and you don't differentiate between French, German, Swiss, you know, take your pick. We would be missing out on like hundreds, if not thousands of cultures that exist inside of Europe, right? Europe is not homogenous. It's not like they're like everyone is the same there. And so for that reason, it's the same as if you said Native Americans, right? or you know, whatever term you use, it's just not accurate. Um, and also there's this implication when you, when you use those terms like loosely like that, you're kind of like implying that Europe would be united in some big way, right? Like, oh, all of Europe is on the same page, they just have one government and they work together as a group. Like that's not true at all, right? Like we know that 
all these European countries have their own governments. Even with the European Union, you still see like disagreements within the union. You still see the each country still has their own government. It's not like they just said, hey, let's all become one big continental country. It's not it's not like that. And the same is true with Native Americans, right? It's not like people people from the Inca were like on the same page with the Maya and the Cherokee and they weren't like, you know, this one giant empire. They were all different. They all had their own political nuances and it was a very complex system of alliances and warfare and all these things. So ultimately, that's kind of where we're at, right? Now, you might be thinking, Sean, hey, dude, come on now. You're just being picky, man. We, like, what are we doing here? And I do know that it can be annoying to constantly have to update the terms being used. Um, but it is important to do so because groups we're studying uh, are not necessarily extinct. That's a big myth in history. A lot of people don't realize, but Native Americans are still around today. Um, so my, my general advice to you, if you're in a conversation with someone who, you know, has a background that is Native American, who is a member of a group or a tribe, I would ask them, just, just ask them, be like, Hey, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, what would you like to be called? You know, it's probably the most polite thing you could actually say. And they, and, and they'll probably tell you like what they prefer from what I've heard. Usually they prefer, and this isn't just they, but like, even French, you know, or German or, you know, whatever, they probably just prefer to be named what they are, right? So like, oh, hey, I am from Germany. Call me a German, right? Hey, I'm American. Call me American. Hey, I'm from, you know, the Cherokee. Call me a Cherokee. Um, and that's just probably when in doubt the best way to do it. But all that being said, I'm still going to just say Native American because I'm a hypocrite and aren't we all, right? No one can be perfect. All right. So, now that I've gone way too far in which names to use, which names to not use, let's set the stage for where we are headed in the next few weeks. So as a teacher who gets to teach world civilizations, I feel very lucky to do that because I just love international history. I have the absolute benefit of being able to teach topics like this to my students. So I thought it would be really fun to kind of do some podcasts on some of the lessons that I teach and some of the topics I teach. So over the next few weeks, we're going to journey through pre-Columbian America to explore the hundreds of civilizations that thrived here well before the Europeans arrived. And yes, maybe we'll mention the Vikings along the way. Um, so I plan to go into somewhat of a chronological order. It gets a little messy. We'll talk about why. But today we're going to journey thousands of years into the past to the birthplace of civilization here in the Americas. And we're going to begin that journey with the Olmec civilization in Mesoamerica. Our story begins in 1938, when archeologist Matthew Sterling traveled to Mexico with his team to visit a strange object that was found almost a century earlier the objects that he found when he arrived were these giant stone heads. Not much different from those famous heads you've seen on Easter Island. But these were even more unique, as each one was different. When the archaeologists first studied these giant heads that were found, the locals assumed that they came from around maybe the 15th century, same time period as the Aztecs, which dominated the region. But once archaeologists took a closer look, they realized these objects were way older than they previously thought. 
These are the Olmec. Now, the tough part about ancient history, and in some cases you could say this is prehistory, we almost exclusively know about the Olmec civilization thanks to archaeology, since the writing that they did have has only recently been somewhat deciphered and the records leave a lot of gaps. It's kind of more of like a, an early form of a language, um, hieroglyphic, actually very, very image-based. It's difficult to piece them together and get literary value out of them. So what we're left with is the interpretation of these artifacts that we find. This is actually a great moment to mention that I have, a, I have a video on YouTube that we're posting about the value of archaeology when it comes to history. Um, so definitely go over to our YouTube channel and check that out. Now, ancient history for this reason is, more, I think, more difficult than any other form of history. Um, and that's because the amount of sources that we have are just so few. So we really have to do extra work with less to make sense of the past. And that's kind of how like ancient aliens can kind of sneak in there where they start to get a little conspiratorial and say, oh, we don't have any evidence. It must have been aliens. And don't even get me started. Anyway, back to the Olmec, right? So how old are these heads, right? These giant stone statues, how old are they? They thought they were from the 1400s. Turns out the earliest archaeological evidence that we have so far dates back around the year 2000 BCE. And we found artifacts ranging from that, so the so 2000 BCE, all the way until about 350 BCE. So we're talking about a time period of more than 1500 years. And so with such a vast time period, we do have to take note that there are different kind of eras within that, right? There's different locations that kind of reach their prominence, their peak, and then there is also, you know, a decline in these civilizations, and then maybe another settlement becomes more prominent. Now, to date, there are three uh, most well-known centers where we find the most Olmec artifacts, and that would be San Lorenzo, La Venta, and Tres Zapotes. And that's my Spanish for you. I apologize for butchering all those names. And all of these are located in central Mexico, ancient Mesoamerica. The most iconic and well-known artifacts without question that we have discovered from the Olmec are these giant sculpted stone heads. And so, so far, archaeologists have discovered 16 of these heads dating to the Olmec period. There is actually a 17th head. Um, it's made somewhat later, and it's it's not really as good. Like, it's, it's crude, and it's, it doesn't have the same zest as the other 16. So you can say there's 17, but really there's 16 authentic ones. Um, so if you can, I strongly recommend you go look these up. Just Google it, or you can visit our YouTube page and check out that video on archaeology because I do show some of these heads in that video. So you can get it just, just an idea of the scope and the size of these. Um, now remember, we don't have a lot of writing to go off of. So when we're trying to piece together Olmec's civilization, we have to look at these giant artifacts and try and figure out what are they? Who are they? Who are these people, right? They're giant heads. Are they real people? Now they could be. They could be modeled after real people. I think that's the leading idea that archaeologists are thinking that they might be. And the reason why, the thing that kind of 
you know, gives a, heads us off in that direction. <laughs> the pun there with the giant heads. Anyway, is is the fact that each one is unique, right? They're all people, but they're unique. They're not the same person. It's not like I mentioned Easter Island earlier, where like they're all very, very similar. In this case, they have a similar style, but you can tell that they are a different person. Additionally, they are wearing almost like a, a helmet or a hat of some kind, um, some kind of cover. And on their head, right around the forehead, most of them have a unique symbol. And the symbols are different from each other. So this could be, again, we're not, we're not sure, but this could be a way that we could maybe identify each person. And maybe someday when we do discover more, we might be able to. We might be able to know exactly who these are. It also could be a religious um, icon. So, for example, maybe it could be uh, these heads could be different gods or deities. Um, this is, again, there's not really much evidence to support this. Uh, it's, if anything, it's probably a leader of some kind. And maybe, I mean, it's, we're going off, I'm going off on kind of skepticism here. Um, and just kind of my own interpretation. It could be that these leaders were seen as demigods. Um, in some civilizations that does happen where, um, kings and leaders are also deified. But what really makes the Olmec important is the fact that the Olmec to us are now known as the mother culture, the mother civilization of all of Mesoamerica. And for, for a variety of good reasons. We used to think that the Maya were the pioneers of Mesoamerican civilization. In fact, we are going to do a Mayan episode very soon because they come up very quickly in chronolo chronolo chronology. Um, but they exist about a thousand years after the Olmec. Um, for this reason, the more we started to find from the Olmec time period, the more we realized that the Maya are actually just building up on and improving a lot of the achievements that the Olmec had. So some of the things that you know, uh, you can probably picture in your head, um, maybe those giant pyramids, right? If anyone's ever been to like Chichen Itza or even just Tulum on vacation, right? Um, Cancun, those, those Maya pyramids they were actually borrowed. Those creations were borrowed and improved upon from the Olmec. Uh, another famous Mayan achievement was their calendar system. Well, it turns out we have evidence to support that the Olmec probably began the calendar system and the Maya maybe adapted it into their own system. Also hieroglyphics. I mentioned that already. Ma the Maya also wrote in hieroglyphics and the Olmec, um, as I mentioned, had similar iconography, right? They had hieroglyphs, um, more like runes almost, but maybe the early forms, the early version of writing. So all of these things, again, come from the Olmec as that mother civilization. So why does it, any of this matter, right? Um, it is really only in the last couple decades that we are starting to really uncover the truth about the Olmec. And again, with the fact that we have to rely so much heavily on archaeology, really does limit us in many cases. Um, it, it leaves the Olmec to be such a mystery. In fact, even the name Olmec is not what they would have called themselves. We have no idea what the actual, who the Olmecs were. We have no idea. The name Olmec is a Nahuatl term that we applied to them because the actual Olmecs, there was a civilization called the Olmec that did live in the 1400s. 
um, in Mexico, but they were not the same as the ancient one. So there's a lot of things missing here. There are a lot of pieces, a lot of mysteries that we're still trying to figure out. And so I find this really exciting. This is one of the reasons why I love ancient history because there's so much work. There's always more to be discovered. And what we are learning is always changing. Thank you for joining us for this exciting episode. I encourage you to learn more about the Olmec. And as we journey through Mesoamerica, I'll be sure to make more connections to this ancient civilization when it's appropriate. After all, they are the mother culture. Next week, we're going to travel to another ancient Mesoamerican city known as Teotihuacan. And we're going to learn about the greatest pyramids in the Americas. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Don't forget to give us a like and subscribe for future podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Sean. And remember, it's okay to be stuck in the past.